Well, good afternoon, church. How you guys doing? It is, um, it's been a heck of a series. How many of you guys have been just uh, turned up? There's been something inside of you that's just been coming out. Like God is saying, you got to deal with this through the soul detox. Throw your hand up real quick, just so you know you're not alone. And yeah, God's been working on me on a bunch of different things. One of the things he's just really got me upset about it is something that's been happening at Chick-fil-A lately. And I'm just... Uh, I'm a little frustrated. I'd have to say maybe a little bitter, actually. And I know that's like blasphemy to be bitter at Chick-fil-A and a church and stuff. But the bottom line is I grew up in Southern California. I'm a Southern California kid. I came from Corona. I don't know what the heck this thing is called unsweetened iced tea, but that's ridiculous. I mean, I get sweet tea. I know what that is. I'm okay with sweet tea. But last time I checked, I take a bunch of bags. I put it in water. I put that whole thing in the sun. I take it out. I pour it into a glass filled with wonderful, crystallized, dripping good ice. And then you take it and drink it, and you have something called iced tea. I don't have to unsweeten that stuff. It's bitter when it comes out of the little, the little jar. There's no such thing as unsweetened iced tea. There's regular iced tea. I tell them all the time. They go, would you like an unsweetened iced tea? I'm like, no, I want tea. Give me iced tea, regular iced tea. So I'm starting a letter writing campaign. If you will please join me, there is a table outside to fight this horrible atrocity of unsweetened iced tea. Now, I'm obviously kidding slightly. The, I have a bit of a pet peeve on this. It does bug me. I don't get it. It's one of those weird things in my life I've ran into, and I seriously have, I have yet to have a good dialogue with Sean about it, but we'll, I'll get there, and um, I know I can't change the Chick-fil-A culture, but um, the bottom line is you all have pet peeves, don't we? We have little pet peeves, things that get us going, little, little annoying things. You no, know, Craig Rochelle actually talks about in his book, his pet peeve of uh, the fact that he'll go to the movies and he'll be sitting with somebody and his wife, and his wife's one of those people that will start asking questions about every plot point possible. Is, do you think that's the bad guy? I think that's the guy who did it, and, and then you've got the other people sitting around who are guessing the end of the movie already. They're like, oh, I know how this ends. This is, that guy's going to do this thing and this, and anybody run into those kind of people that bugs you? That's kind of like you. You hate that. Don't, don't talk in your movie space. This is for you to turn your brain off and, and it's perfectly good. You know, that's, I'm the opposite. Me and my wife have analytical discussions of things in the middle of movies, so you don't want to come to my house during movie time. But, but this is the point. We all have pet peeves, small ones, big ones. From the way people fold money to, to, uh, to the kind of re- weird things each other does in their sleep, all the way to big things like ISIS, slavery, you know, huge world problems that bug us and disappoint us about our government or about our own monetary system or whatever it is. In the church, there are problems and we get angry. We do. We get mad. It gets us going and we get ticked off. And the bottom line is that's everybody in this room. We all have to deal with anger. Anger is a part of human experience. It's a part of the human life. Amen? Everybody agree with me on that? You deal with anger at some point. If you don't, you're probably getting mad at me. But it's just very clear that we have something. We have to deal with anger here. We've got, to, we've got to come to grips with anger. In fact, what's interesting is the Bible, when it talks about anger, talks about it 15 times in association with something called fire. Now, fire is interesting because when it's out of control... It's dangerous and destructive. I just realized how dangerous it was. The other day, how many guys knew there was a fire in El Cerrito? Big old crazy fire in, in the area. That, uh, we, Buzz comes into my office and goes, hey, there's a fire out there. And I'm like, really? So we go outside. We're standing in the courtyard. And I'm looking. These big black plumes of smoke are pulling up over. And, and I'm looking at that going, wow, that's close to Jay's house because he lives right over there. And that's, my dad lives across the street. And I'm going, that's real close to my dad's house. 
this doesn't look good. And so me and, me and my buddy Chris, we, we run over there. We find Jay. He's a descendant there with his hose spraying stuff down. And my dad's already been doing that. Nobody's in the backyard. So we're jumping all over the place spraying stuff. And there's like 15 feet away from us, like 10 feet of flames, just huge. And we're going like, spray yourself down, spray the trees down, spray yourself down. It's just, you have the smoke in your face. You're breathing through your, you're breathing through your shirt. It was horrific. And at one point after it was all done, because Jay's house is fine and things are good other than it smells like smoke. And yeah, he, we were talking about it later and he's like, yeah, man, I should have gone and I was, I was about to just go grab all my stuff, all my, all my things that I, I couldn't replace to get out of there, man, like the Xbox. That was going to be important. And um, <laughs> we laugh and he, he, was ser- he was more serious about the wedding photos and stuff. But it was seriously, a fire out of control is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. And when you realize that God is saying, look, like that fire that's out of control, that's like your anger out of control. It can destroy not just important things, but personal things in your life. And then you, you step back and you realize that fire also has a different way of being used. My daughter got to experience this this week. She got to go with her papa up and, and backpack. And while you're backpacking, you learn how to appropriately use fire. You're supposed to take them and you're supposed to create a fire ring and all this stuff and light a fire and stuff. She doesn't get to do any of that. Thank you, California. And, and I'm bitter about that too. Another letter writing campaign. No, and, but... Um, what she does get to see is fire working as a, um, these little, like, these little kind of ovens and, and little uh, ovens, little, you know, things. Uh, I forget what the stoves, that's the little camping stoves and stuff. And she'll get to see how to use that appropriately and how you cook stuff up. And, and I'm excited for her because she really gets to experience the reality of how important fire is in the middle of a, of a, da- of a wilderness. When it's contained and it's controlled, it's life-giving and it's powerful. When it's out of control, it's destructive. And this is the parable of our anger. And what we need to do is we need to realize most of us have never seen this life-giving kind of anger stuff. We have only seen the outrageous outpouring of vitriol and wrath in the wrong way. And so what we want to do is we want to dive in and we want to begin to look and see how we can use our, use our anger constructively and not destructively. And we need to deal with our anger and we need to deal with it quickly or it's going to make matters worse. And that's where we want to start. All of us have anger issues. All of us got anger stuff at some time. And what we want to do is we want to deal with anger quickly and deal with it before it gets worse. And so in fact, Paul kind of is, is the one who really dives into this in an interesting way. In a summation in Christian life in the book of Ephesians, he really begins to talk about anger here. He says, look, be angry, and, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I find this a fascinating triad. And when you look at it, he's first saying, be angry, but do not sin. There's somehow an ability for us to have anger in our lives, but it's not be sinful. And we'll note that as we get into this today. We'll note that there's a, there's a sense of anger in this world that we don't have to get engaged in. But second, he says, look, there's also this sense that we need to deal with anger quickly. And we're going to talk about that. But I want to zoom first in with this idea of giving no opportunity to the devil. And you say, oh, this church believes in the devil? Yes, we do. We do believe that there's a demonic realm that exists in this world that is at work in with using false truths and dealing with human emotions to cause one particular aim. See, demons and devils aren't out to make you scared. They're not out to woo you and awe you with some kind of supernatural power. The number one aim of any devil, of any demon, is to get you to sin. And that's it. Because the demons and the devils, all they want you to do is have a separation between you and God, and they've won. 
Whether you're a Christian and that separation is caused in your fellowship with God so that you're not right with him and that you can't be used by him or whether it is simply that you don't know Christ and there's a divide between you and God because, you're, because you've sinned and God needs to deal with your sin. A devil and a demon just wants to take the opportunity to make you sin. What does this look like then when it comes to anger, as Paul seems to be indicating here? In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, we run into these two characters we met last week, namely Cain and Abel. Cain was, uh, had offered a sacrifice kind of half-heartedly, and Abel had offered one with his whole heart, and God received Abel's offering. But he got, Cain got jealous at Abel. Before Cain goes and kills his brother, God actually steps in to warn Cain. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Meaning if you, if you act right from this anger, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you like an animal, but you must rule over it. It's almost as if sin was sitting there just waiting to spring on him, waiting to own him, take him down and take him away as something sin has collected. Guys, how many times has God warned us and stepped into our lives and said, wait, stop. Don't go. Where Stop. Sin is about to take you over and we haven't listened. Especially in our anger. Where we know we shouldn't vent that rage at our kids. We know we shouldn't jump out there and say this. And it's that one millisecond that we turn to God and go, nah. I'm going to do this. And sin has owned us. The devil can use that as an opportunity to cause discord, to break down family units. It can cause discord to break down our very connection with God. It causes problems. And that's what he wants. So this is a serious stuff we're dealing with here. As serious as fire. Then we need to be careful. We need to be ready. We need to deal with our anger. And as we saw, that means, the first, we need to know what kind of anger we have. There's really two kinds of anger, as we saw. The first one is a good kind of anger. And Psalm 4.4 is where Paul got this idea from. It says, be angry and do not sin. And, and, and this is this idea that there is a right, righteous kind of anger. But that anger always leads to right actions. A righteous anger will never lead to the, 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 to the destructive forms of things that we know anger to bring. But it leads to right action, right movement. We'll talk about how that happens here at the end of the, of the message. But right now, just note, there's this good kind of anger, and then there's this bad kind of anger. And this bad kind of anger is described to us by Jesus in the book of Matthew. He says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. But whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, there's some interesting conceptions in this verse, if we look at it carefully enough. First of all, Jesus equates murder and anger together. That bothers some people. Because he literally says, anger is like murder. Well, how, Jesus? How is it the same? Many people have wrestled over this. We just, it, well, it's the same thing. It's only the end of it. And there's all these ways to look at it. But the bottom line, it makes us uncomfortable to think that Jesus somehow views our anger on the same level as God would view a murder. But it comes even more interesting. Why does Jesus keep referencing judgment when it comes to anger? Why, go back to that verse for a second. Look, look at it carefully with me. Why does he say that everyone who angers, who is angry with his brother is going to be liable to judgment? 
Liable to the council. Liable to hellfire. Why the judgment scenes? Why keep bringing up judgment? Except for the fact that what Jesus is getting at is that anger and justice have a similarity associated with them. That there is a reality that anger is actually something that we do because our justice system of our hearts is messed up. You realize that? Think about it. You're driving beautifully on a smooth 15 freeway with no traffic. Oh, glorious. You're getting where you need to go as quick as you can at that nice 70 mile an hour zone. And along comes somebody and cuts you off and slows down in front of you and then takes off in another direction. What do you feel? Anger. How dare you get in my way? I'm not doing anything wrong. You can't cut me off like that. That's just wrong, you know, because you have every right to go as fast as you need to go in a free open freeway and nobody should get in your way. Nobody should be telling me what to do in my work like this. And and we just have this sense of what is right and wrong for who? For us. You know, most of the time our anger and our justice system has been invaded by our pride. And so oftentimes it's our pride that is wounded. It is something inside of us that is wounded. And our justice meter goes, and it becomes all about us. And when that happens and our justice meter goes off, we get angry because you know what? They did something wrong, evil, unjust, intolerant. You name it, you offended me, I'm mad. You have invaded my sense of justice. And Jesus says, okay. And you will face true justice for your unjust anger. And Jesus then shows us that this is the connection because what is murder? It is the ultimate form of judging someone. In fact, it was interesting. I was at an evangelical theological society meeting, which is like nerd, nerd world for theologians, and we're sitting around listening to this guy who had interviewed all these death row inmates. All of them justified their actions that were willing to confess to what they had done, had said, I justified my action before I killed the person. They made sure that they convinced themselves that this was what they were doing was a just act. And that is what murder is. It is the taking of justice into our hands, believing that we have the right to do this and to end a life because we are God. And in our anger, we play many gods, setting up many courtrooms where we play it out, where we are judge, amazing lawyers, and jury because we win every single time. And all these connections come together to show us that what, bad, what unrighteous, unjust anger looks like is actually when we're out of control to control someone else or situations. We're out of control to try to gain control. When we think about it, we rage and we get out of control and we show all this emotion, so you will do what I want you to do or this thing will do what I want it to do. And that is when we know we're in the wrong form of anger. When we're angry to, when we're out of control internally or externally to try to make somebody in or something in control. Guys, this is huge. We need to deal with this. We need to work on this because every human being wrestles with this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to confess it and we're going to address it. So as we begin to confess on this anger, we need to know how do we handle this anger? What does it look like to handle it before it handles us? Because it's handling some of you. And I just want to take this caveat. If you have serious anger issues, and I mean serious ones, where you do not have control over your anger, I would advise you to seriously seek counsel. 
a counselor of some kind, something to help you out because this sermon's not going to end your anger issues. It may bring it up and you may be getting angry at me right now. And if that's the case, you might need to go talk to somebody who can help you really work out whatever's really going on deep down inside. It's going to take a while and that's okay, but we need to deal with it. In this case, though, there are two kinds of people. I want us to identify how we handle anger so that we can confess it. And we start with this. We identify how to handle, how to handle anger by knowing the hair trigger. There is these, some of us who are hair triggers. You call yourself a hair trigger or what I like to say a spewer. A spewer is like, the, is like your, um, your, your sprinkler system out there. Well, you know they're angry because they're just shooting it all over the place. I can't believe it. And you just tiptoe around them. You're like, okay, you're... you're there's something wrong out there anywhere, and they're going to let me know about it. Anybody know a spewer? Somebody just gets angry, hair trigger, bam, they're ready to go. They know what they want. They know how they want it. And this is not right. Anybody throwing your hand up? You know, some of you aren't raising your hand because you're afraid of the spewer next to you. But uh, I get it. No. But this, the, what's interesting is if you find yourself in the category of the hair trigger, the angry person, you're in good company. Strangely enough, we don't identify these guys as spurs, but uh, the apostles John and James were actually probably hair trigger kind of guys. Notice this situation in the book of Luke. Jesus has sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And so when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said... Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's not a normal reaction. Like, seriously. These guys are so, like, torqued. They're just like, what do you mean you don't want Jesus in your town? Like, We're going to burn you. You're going, this isn't John, Greg. This isn't the John. John's got long hair. He hangs out with Jesus. like, hi, Jesus, and leans on. Because that's, that's what Da Vinci said he was. He's the wimpy guy. I love, love, love. He wears flowers, you know. No, no, John is one of the sons of thunder. That was Jesus' nickname for James and John. Sons of thunder do not have passivity written into them at all. These guys look at villages and go, what? We can't come in? Burn! You know, this is psychos. And maybe you find yourself a son of thunder or a daughter of thunder. You're ready. Just boom, take it. Let's go. Notice Jesus' reaction. But he turned and he rebuked them. Jesus isn't into the sons of thunder's thunder. And if we find ourselves in the hair trigger position, it's clear there's been scriptures all over the place to tell us this is not the appropriate way to live. In fact, notice these Proverbs as we look at them. Proverbs chapter 14 says, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. Boy, isn't that true? Can I get an amen for all of us who've done that? Any parent who's acted foolishly with their kid knows that they're just like, I can't stand it. Most of the worst things we can remember about our parents are when they were angry at us. Their worst words that have seared in our heads were out of their anger. The worst words I've ever said were out of my anger. We just act stupid. We're foolish. We just lose it. And a quick temper acts foolishly. They're not thinking, they're just going. So Proverbs goes on to say this in chapter 29. A fool gives vent to his spirit. They just let it out. They don't, vent, vent, vent. This is not what I mean by passion, by the way, when we talk about passion of Christ followers. I don't mean a foolish venting of everything. 
It's a thoughtful expression of your life. It's a serious knowing what God's called you to do, and you're willing to go any, to any length to achieve it, and that's going to draw out who you are. But it's not just a... <laughs> Tasmanian devil, sorry. Proverbs 29 is saying, look, a wise man quietly holds it back. Doesn't it blow up and explode and vent his anger? No, he holds on. And he's quiet. And he's thoughtful. And right now, some of you guys are going, that's me, yeah. I'm good at holding it back. I'm a quiet man. I'm wise. No, you might be a slow cooker. Pot roast ain't got nothing on you. Because what a slow cooker is, is a stewer. There's a spewer, we're the stewer, and I'm in this category. I grew up with a dad who said, I don't get mad, I just get even. And I went, that's good advice, you know, write that down. And seriously, you stewers, us in here, we look so wise. Bad things happen and we take it in stride. And we're just like, yeah, that's an evil thing. I'm good with that. And inside we're going, write that down. We can get back at that later. Oh, I'm mad about that. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, and that one. Oh, and that one. And you know they're angry. Everybody else knows they're angry because they get the twitch. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, you, you say something and you know they're mad and they're like, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You, you want to say something? No, 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 I'm good. They, they seriously are holding back the pressure so bad. It's showing up in their very attitudes. You all wear Greg Harris eyebrows when you're stewing. <laughs> and you're seriously pumped about just this anger. And what's going on is you're being extremely unloving. You're not being wise. Notice what the definition of love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not spewing or resentful. The way it's actually written in the Greek is it holds no record of wrongs. But you know what a resentful person is? He's a list builder. If you're a resentful lady, you've, you've got reams of angry things going on inside. And some of us have lived a life of resentment, building it and building it, and the pressure just comes, and you look like you're a spewer, but inside it's just ready to erupt all the time because you're a volcano ready to pop. And it's coming out in weird ways in your life because the anger and the fear and everything is built and pushed down inside. And you know what these people, you've, you've met them. When they finally do open up, man, they're like, seven years ago, you did this to me and this and this, and then you did this. Oh, and that reminds me that you did all these things over here. And you're sitting there going, you have no grounds to defend yourself because they've memorized everything about your life that you've ever done wrong. So don't think you're wise if you're able to stay quiet when you're angry. Because what we've done, and I'm included in this category, is we have not dealt with our sin, our anger before the sun's gone down. Deal with it quickly and rightly. There's a right way in here. There's some way to, to, to have this. And if you're with me, our, our patron saint is not John and James. It's the older brother and the prodigal son. This guy, the younger brother, comes up to his dad and says this, Dad, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. That's in essence saying, Dad, you're as good as dead to me anyway, so why don't you give me my inheritance? 
So he takes it and he divides it. The dad does it, divides the property between them, the brothers. The younger brother goes out and spins like crazy and does all kinds of horrible things to the point where he loses all his money and winds up sitting in a pig's trough, eating pig food. And for Jewish people, that's the lowest of low. He gets, wakes up in this, and he's just like, what am I doing? My, the slaves of my dad work better than this. And goes home morose and sad and downtrodden, comes up, and his dad sees him, runs after him, hugs him, put on the cloak, put on everything. He's just like, I love you. This is awesome. Yes. Works him inside, throws a party for him. Older brother's sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Walks out of the field. Twitch. Dad walks up to him when he's out in the field and his dad asks him the question, what's going on? Why are you out here? But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened cow for him. Ding, 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 ding. The bottom line is that many of us can get to the place where we've got so many lists we've never addressed that is eating our lives in resentment and anger is seething and an opportunity has been given to the enemy for many purposes. Guys, we need to deal with our anger. And the way that I know to do this is that I'm learning. I'm not saying I'm, I'm an expert at this. But we need to give it over to God and let him quench it or use it appropriately. You say, what, what? Look at this verse in Proverbs 17, 14. It's kind of a warning. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. You ever had water leak out of a bucket or anything with the water pressure? You try to hold it over. The water sprays all over the place. It's saying, it's going to almost be impossible to stop the water, the leak, the, the anger when it's starting to run out. So before the quarrel breaks out, Quit. Stop. Don't even engage. Do something before it even begins. We need to have some kind of way to stop the anger before it launches so we can deal with it. The only way I know to do that is you got to give it over to God. you got to give it up so he can give you the self-control to deal with it. If we don't give it over to God to give us the self-control, it's not going to happen. And I need to tell you something because God is an incredible being. You know, our, our society has shrunk God down so much. I mean, we don't think of God as being angry anymore. Oh, the God upstairs, he's not angry. But, but hold on a second. God, God understands anger better than anybody in this room. It's an interesting situation. Moses has just vented his anger. Saw all of Israel worshiping these golden idols, even though they, God has just told him not to do this. Takes the Ten Commandments God had written with his own hand. Takes them, smashes them on the ground in a huff. You want to look at somebody who's got anger problems, go read about Moses. And he turns around, and he, God starts to deal with him, marches back up the mountain, and as God's dealing with him, he gets to this point where Moses, and, and if you're new to the Bible, it's in Exodus 33, 34, and 35. Uh, Moses turns and goes, God, I get it, I get it, I know that you love us, I just want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. God says, okay. Now you can't see me totally, you'll die, so I'll put you in a cleft of a rock, I'll just show you my passing by, and I'll declare my name before you. And as God comes along, declaring his name, he yells, the Lord, the Lord, abounding in loving kindness and mercy, slow to anger. Not of no anger, 
But his very name possesses the concept that he's slow to anger. God understands anger. He made anger. And he always uses it rightly. He's slow to it. And if there's anyone who's going to teach us little humans who are made in his image how to deal with our anger, it's the God who is slow to anger. That blows my mind. What a wonderful God who is slow to anger that just doesn't go, oh, you sin, bam, smash, crush. No, he's slow. I mean, here's a God who felt like he needed to tell the Jewish people, don't mix the threads in your clothing. No polyester with cotton. That makes me mad. I mean, you think God has pet peeves. Read the, read the Old Testament for a second. And he didn't just go crush. He's just patient and patient and patient and patient, slow to anger. I think we need God's advice. Because as far as I understand, we're really bad with anger or we're really fast to anger. But God knows how to deal with anger perfectly. And so what's very beautiful is when we give it over to God that he can quench or deal with it and he will give us self-control. One of the things it says, when God's spirit appears in us, comes in us, according to the book of Galatians, he bears fruit in our lives. One of those fruit is self-control. I can't make self-control. God has to make it in me. He bears self-control in me so that I can rightly apply anger. Now, some of us aren't ever going to get there. But others of us, I hope this aids you. What does that self-control look like? It comes in the book of James, chapter 1. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man, these two kinds that we've talked about, does not produce the righteousness of God. It's because our justice meter is messed up. It does not produce the justice of God. The same word, righteousness and justice. Because we're messed up, our anger produces what we want, aims at our desires, our pride, our selfishness, our fear. But God's righteousness is accomplished when, it, when our justice lines up with his. And so he tells us, here's the first thing that we need to do. You need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many of us are in the reverse? Quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to hear. What we need to do is, number one, we just need to listen. Listening is not something that's passive. It's active. We need to be able to ask clarifying questions. And just to clarify something for some of you who are struggling in your marriages right now. Some of you are words people and some of you are way people. What I mean by that is some of you hear the way something is said and others of you hear the words that were said. And you start fighting over what you guys said. That's not how you said it. Well, that's not what I said. You ever gotten into that argument? One's listening to the emotions, the other's listening to the words. And you need to hear that so that you can ask clarifying questions. So you can go, what did you mean by that? Is, I heard this. Is that what you meant? And we need to listen so that when we finally understand, then we can consider. Some of us are good at listening. We hear it and we just go, yeah, I don't want to believe that. No. We listen and we consider. Later, James will say, be considerate. Be the kind of people that play it in because guess what? Most of the time when we were angry, they were right. You know why that's true? Because of that pride that's in the system. Oftentimes, I'm more angry because you're telling me the truth about something I'm already upset about in myself. I don't want you pointing it out. So I get mad. 
In fact, many of us men, we have a problem. We need to get to the place where we can go through this, listening, consider, and, hold, and then hold our tongue. Um, because what we get angry so fast because we, we don't have the ability to label our emotions correctly. Anything on the negative side from happy comes out as angry. If I'm sad, well, that just makes me angry. And that's just how men are. I don't get it. We have very, you know, kind of a narrow field in our emotional, in our emotional vocabulary oftentimes. But one of the most helpful things is when you give it over to God to ask for self-control is to label it. Label exactly what you're angry at. Label exactly what you're frustrated with. Be exact. Some of you guys got to get sit down and write it down. Others of you, you need to go in a closet and go, I'm so mad about this. Because you got to say it. The bottom line is you got to get it out. And you got to get it right. I'm mad because she said that. Well, why are you mad because she said that? Does she not have the right to say that? Okay, well, I'm mad that she said it because it hurt my feelings. Why did it hurt your feelings? You're going to find out you're not really mad. You may be hurt. You may be scared. And then your pride's taken over. We need to label it. I'm talking to everybody here, not just guys. We need to label it. What is it really? Give it to God. Then listen, consider Hold your tongue. God will give us this ability as we ask him and give it over, and he leads us with his slow to anger because God can use anger for his purpose. Look at this in Mark chapter 3. It's found in, in, in page 838 in your Bibles, if you want to turn there for me. It says, Jesus again entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. As they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them or him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So it looks like they planted this guy just to get Jesus in trouble. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to, or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? He's trying to put them into a conundrum. You say we're not supposed to work, so should I do good or bad? Should, am I allowed to do good things? Should I neglect the good? Is that what you're telling me? So I'm doing bad? And so these Pharisees are stuck. They have nothing to say. And so they said, but they were silent. And so he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart because they ought to have cared about this man. They ought to have cared about the good. Enough to have said, you know, we'll do good on the Sabbath because it's right to do good. And they looked around and he saw that they were hard of heart and Jesus was what? Angry, but he wasn't sinning. And what did he do with his anger? He looked at the man, he said, stretch out your hand, and it stretched out, and the hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him, how, it was to, how to destroy him. What's powerful about this text is that Jesus shows us that you can be angry and still do the right thing. Now, he's Jesus. How in the world does Jesus be angry and not sin? The reason is because his justice never deviated from his father's. What was right and wrong to Jesus was always right and wrong to God. What God got mad at, Jesus got mad at. What God didn't get mad at, Jesus didn't get mad at. What God had mercy over, Jesus had mercy over. You know what our problem is? We don't know what God gets mad at because we don't read our Bibles anymore. 
One of the challenges that I give to you guys is to be in the word of God. Why? Because it tells us what God is like. And he has told us how he is slow to anger because he has certain things he does get mad at. He has certain things he does get angry at. And unless we're willing to listen and learn from him about those things, we won't get mad at the correct things. We won't get angry at the correct things. We'll get angry at our things. And then we'll get out of control to get other people to get into our control. Instead of seeing that this is wrong and that God has got a handle on this and I want to act with him. You know what God did when he was angry? You know what God did when he was so furious at humanity? He sent his only begotten son to die on a cross to bear his wrath so that those who would believe in him would not perish. Guys, God knows how to deal with anger. He knows how to deal with it rightly. He knows how to guide us if we'll just name it, label it, surrender it to him. And then ask him for that self-control. Listen carefully. Think about where we're going. Be able to sit down and just go, God, is this what you're mad at or is this what I'm mad at? And if it's something that you're mad at, let it go. You know you can do that? You've seen him. You ever been in an argument with somebody? And you're yelling across at each other and you're, and up comes the waiter. Hey, so can I help you guys? And you're like, oh, yeah. Well, how's it going? Oh, we're good. Thank you. And they go on and you're back and fighting. You've seen that. We have a modicum of control. We need to just drop the things that God's not mad at. Release them over to him. So we can be slow to anger. And we can rightly deal with it. My best example is mothers against drunk driving. A woman who was so angry at the death of her loved one, she turned it into something that was positive to save people's lives. That's righteous anger. That's turning anger to action. Do you know why God gave you anger? So would you know what God's mad at? You can know you can stand firm regardless of how many people tell you you're dumb for believing that. You can stand and say, you know what? God's upset with this. I'm upset with this. I'm angry at this because it destroys people and it destroys society and it destroys each other and I'm not going to move. And the more you push on me, the more angry I'm going to get because that anger is here to keep me firm-footed and unmoved on what is true. That's what it's for. So we can be firm And God is calling us to rid ourselves of false human anger. But he's got to teach us how to do the other. So maybe this morning you got something you need to deal with God with. So I'll give you a chance to do that. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe right now you need to confess how you handle your, your sin. If you're a slow cooker, you got a lot to write out. If you're a hair trigger, you got a lot of wrongs to right. Just confess those things and, and, and give it over to God. If you've got something you're really angry about right now, write it out and hand it over to him. But others of you in here, you may not even be Christian. And it may surprise you to believe that God is angry. And you may get that God's not like a hair trigger. He's out there just bashing everybody. But, you're, but I, because we, we see that we're here. He didn't crush us for our sin. You see, God's angry at our sin. What he's angry at is how we hurt each other and how we disobey him and how we do things against him. And yes, he's angry. 
but he's been slow to anger because he hasn't crushed you. You say, well, then he's a slow cooker. He's a steward. He's just going to blow up at us. Well, no. And it may look like that if you think that that's what the judgment is. If you think one day God's just going to lay out your list and nail you. But no, God wants to deal with sin right now. He's trying to deal with his anger every single day. His anger at sin. Every moment. He is rightly dealing with it. Because he's trying to bring it up to you. Your sin that, you, that has caused God's anger. He is trying to bring that out now and remind you of it. So that you can do something about it. And that is receive Jesus Christ. Because the way God has dealt with his anger is he put it on his son. Jesus is willing to bear the anger of his father to keep that anger from hitting us. That's how much he loved us. And so Jesus became a sacrifice, willing to bear the anger of God that was rightly to hit us. And God gave that to us as a gift. That if we would believe, if we would trust that Jesus bore that anger, we would be forgiven and we'd be saved from God's anger. And we'd be set free to have a relationship with him. You don't clean up to earn that gift. You just receive it, trusting that God has given it to you. And maybe right now, you need to deal with your sins by trusting that God has put his anger on Jesus so you don't have to face it. And so he offers you this opportunity. And if that's where you're at and you're ready to receive that forgiveness of sins and that gift from God, I want to give you a chance right now by just indicating, yes, I am, by putting your hand up. You're saying, yeah, that's me. I am ready to receive that. I'm ready to let God's anger be diverted to Jesus and to be forgiven of my sins. As you put your hand up, I just want to guide you through a prayer. And really just start by confessing your sins to God. Just tell him what you've done. Tell him what he's just putting on your heart to confess. And turn away from them. Just tell him, God, these are my sins. When you're, when you're kind of done with that, then, then just tell God that you're ready to receive his forgiveness. That you trust that Jesus took his anger for you. And now that he's taken care of the anger for you, ask God to come into your life to lead you, to teach you and to guide you through the difficulties and to change you. God, I pray over these people who have been praying these prayers, receiving you and your gift, and I ask that you'd bless them with your presence, that you'd give them a sense of their forgiveness. And God, for the rest in the room who are confessing our anger, we just ask for your aid and your help, and we submit it over to you in Jesus' name. Amen.